I'll tell you where you're at in your Christian life. As these are going, I'll give you this here. When I was first saved, all I understood was the first verse. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Didn't know much about the Bible. Grew a little bit, walked down the road a little ways. I started to understand a few things. Something you never think about when you're, when you're lost and under conviction, but the grace of God showed up in my life and convicted me. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. Amen. But I also thank God's the same grace my fears relieved. Amen. I praise God for that. Yeah. And it was what really got me thinking about this was it was not too long ago, a few months or ago, maybe sometime late last year, we were seeing it and that third verse hit me. It took a while for that third verse, because the truth of the matter is, if you ain't been saved very long, you ain't gone through much yet, usually. Through many troubles, many toils, dangers, trials, I've already come. <laughs> and realize it's grace that brought me safe thus far. There's another verse in that song that we don't sing, and that's the one that's really settling on me. The, the Lord has promised good to me, his word my hope secures. That one's growing. And I just can't wait for the day because I don't know when this was going, that last one's truly going to sink in. I, I think it's going to be way yonder down the road because it says when we've been there 10,000 years, I think it'll be about 10,000 years down the road. That, one, that, fit, that last one will start to sink in and we'll understand what it meant when it said we've no less time. <laughs> you know, I, I've got less time now than I did this morning. I got a certain number of days on this earth, a certain amount of time on this earth. I don't know what it is. God knows what it is. I'm hoping my time is up when He comes to take me out of here. But whether I go out via the go out through the air or if I go out through the grave makes no difference. I've got a limited amount of time here. I've got less time now than I had a little while ago. But when I get up there, <laughs> ten thousand years will go by, and time hadn't even. Not even in the picture, no less days. Praise God for that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and find the book of Leviticus and Mark chapter number 16 there. Put a little bookmark, something on your finger, uh, you know, whatever. And uh, then flip over to Hebrews chapter number 9. Hebrews chapter number 9. We are going to look at some things. We're going to link these two passages together. Uh, or go over a couple little things here. And they give you three points and we'll be done. Y'all pray, but the Lord help me move along. We'll be quick and get out of here in time for lunch. <laughs> See how good y'all pray. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1. We've all got there. Still hear some people flipping. I know it takes, I, I never did like it when a preacher got up and says, mark this and mark this and go over here. I've never liked that, but uh, sometimes you got to do it. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 1. It says, then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Now what he's getting at here is exactly the point of the book of Hebrews. It is a book that compares and contrasts the old covenant, basically the Old Testament, versus the new covenant, the New Testament that we have here in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's dealing now, he is setting the example, the pattern, which by the way, that's what the the Old Testament was. It was a pattern. It was a type. It was a shadow of things to come. And he's saying that this is the pattern. This is the type that I want to set forth. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table 
and the shewbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubim of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. So what he is doing, he is laying out now. We are setting the scene. He is uh, uh, putting us in the place of the tabernacle. Now remember that the tabernacle was exactly, it was nothing more than a tent that was built to be able to be moved around that was set aside for the worship of God. If you, when you generally think about it, there is a, uh, there was a fence that was surrounded it. It was roughly uh, 150 feet long by 75 feet wide. Uh, think of it this way. It was uh, 50 yards long. 25 feet wide. You could put four of them on a football field. That's about the way it works out. That is generally what we think of the tabernacle. That was actually only the place that was cordoned off. That uh, The tabernacle itself was a smaller tent that sat inside that space and inside that tent there was two rooms. Equally divided there. Uh, and that in those two rooms there, there was the first one, uh, which we call the holy place, right? That's the one we dealt with just as the, those verses were coming in. And, and there set the table of shoe bread as you were to walk through the door. Imagine you are walking through that door and you are walking into the holy place now. That on that side of the room would be the table of shoe bread. And over here would be the lampstand there. And up about right in here, I'm going to put it around the altar there. I know the proportions aren't right. That's fine. Forgive me. But around here, around the altar, would be a veil. And right in front of that veil would be an altar of incense there. And so that that's the way it's set up. Behind that veil is a box called the Ark of the Covenant with a, a lid that lays upon it called the Mercy Seat. And two angels uh, are called cherubim seated or standing upon either end of the Mercy Seat with their wings spread up over the Mercy Seat there. And between those cherubim, the Bible will teach us the Shekinah glory of God dwelt there and it was that's where he had built that place and designed it that he was to abide there. And so that's the way it is all set up now. And it says now in verse number 6, it says now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest always or went always into the first tabernacle accomplishing the service of God. So they could come at all times into that section of the tabernacle. In fact, they came and went from it many times throughout the day, no doubt. It says, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifies that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did service perfect as pertaining to conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. So what he is doing here, what he is doing, he is setting up a picture 
picture of a particular day in the life or the year of an Israelite there. He mentions there that the high priest could not go behind the veil save one day a year there. And so that that one day a year is what we would call the Day of Atonement. And that's over in the book of Leviticus chapter number 17. If you had a study Bible, you already understood that because it probably said it at the top of the chapter. But this is in in chapter 16. This is the law. This is the ordinance. This is the way that God laid out that the high priest could go into into the Holy of Holies there. And so... He sets this up and he brings it out there, reminding as this chapter comes in that Aaron cannot just simply go back there anytime he wants, okay? He cannot go behind that veil just anytime, any way that he wants. By the way, can I stop right there and say thank God that we can approach the mercy of God, we can approach the throne of God any day we want, any time we want, anywhere we want. Can I say praise God for that the, the living in this day and age, right? But in the day that this is and this is a picture this is a figure of things going on he was only allowed to go back there once a year there is all that he could do and there was a certain prescription there was laws require that it required him that, that he was required to obey in order to go back there tradition tells us that they no, we don't have bible to back this up but tradition tells us that they would wrap a rope around his waist there and they would tie that out so that it's laid outside of the tabernacle because if he messed up, the threat was, the thought was that God would strike him dead if he's not doing what is right. Can I say, by the way, it's a serious thing to think about coming into the presence of God. As I said before, I thank God. I can come anytime I want before the throne of God. But we ought to understand the seriousness and understand the, the, the privilege that it is that we can come before that throne there and thank God we ain't got to tie a rope around our waist when we do it (coughs) can I say so what it tells it describes here in verse number 4 of chapter number 16 in Leviticus he shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the, and shall have the linen breeches uh, upon his flesh and shall be girded with a linen girdle and with a linen miter shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on. And so what is he required to do? He is required to put on a specific set of clothes in order to begin the process of this day. Remember that the high priest, he would wear... Uh, Uh, that ephod that was there it was made of blue and purple and scarlet and gold there and it had on it the breastplate with all of the different jewels on it with the names of the children of Israel inscribed upon them and upon the shoulders there Uh, it had the the, the two onyx stones with the names of the children of Israel there and he had that on he had the the coat uh, that went underneath that that reached all the way down to his feet there and it had the bells and the pomegranates on it there and that everywhere you went that you could hear the sound not to mention that was the a garment that he would have been anointed in and he would have had that anointing oil upon him as he walked around. You could hear and smell the presence of the high priest there in that day, the way that it was set up. And so he took all of that and he laid it to the side there and he put on a special set of holy linen garments there uh, that could cover him up and he put back on the linen miter that he wore. Now on that linen miter there, it would have had a crown that said holiness to the Lord. And before he would do all that, he had to bathe himself. And by the way, he had to do it somewhere around that tabernacle. If I read it and understand it correctly, he actually done this in the holy place, in that room there uh, where the lampstand was and where the uh, table of shoe bread and the 
altar of incense was, he would bathe and wash himself and put on those special garments there to begin the day that he's got to do. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was him, I'd be getting a little bit nervous about that, about that time. I was running through these things in my mind as I was driving over here and trying to make sure that I remembered the correct order and everything. I couldn't imagine what I must have been, what it must have been like to be the high priest. And so now he's got everything gathered. He's brought in an offering of a bullock for himself. In verse 5 it says that he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullock for a sin offering which is for himself and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat and Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering so now what do we have we have a bullock that's being offered for a sin offering right we have these two little kids of the goats right uh, that are brought up there and they cast lots on them. That's the Urim and the Thummim to see which one God directs them to do. By the way, can I tell you that we ought to get God's opinion on anything before we go ahead and do it, right? Uh, and that they cast the lots there. Now, I don't have to cast dice to find God's opinion. Praise God for that. But in that day and age, that's the way they were doing it. That was according, by the way, to God's instruction. We don't have those instructions today. And so he would cast the lots there and the Lord's lot would fall on one and the other one would fall on the children of Israel. And so one of those lambs was or one of those kids of the goats was going to be slain there and so he's got all of this lined up now and so it tells him in verse number 12 uh, that he shall or verse number 11 rather and Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering which is for himself and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering which is for himself so he's killed the bullock that's a young cow right a young bull he's killed that collected the blood verse 12 and he shall take a censer full of burning coals from fire from off the altar before the Lord and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small and bring it within the veil so now he has killed the goat he or killed the bull He's got the blood collected. He's came into the holy place and he's instructed to go to the to that altar of incense and to take off of it a golden censer, right? He's going to take that golden censer. He's going to fill it with coals of fire. He's going to carry it along with, notice the word this plural here, hands, H-A-N-D-S, hands full of uh, sweet incense. Thing I could have got because this stuff is going to be important, right? He's going to take the censer with the coals of fire behind the veil. So he's going to come around behind the veil. Remember what's back here in the Holy of Holies. It's the Shekinah glory of God. He's going to take that censer with the fire and the incense upon it and he's going to place it behind the veil so that the smoke from the incense will shield him from the glory of God that he can come back there now. Can I say he can't come back there? in and of himself. He can't come back there without something to stand in between. Can I stop right there and say by the way, it's still true today. Yes, we have access to the throne of God, but we've got somebody who made the way. Somebody who stands in the in between us and the glory of God. The Bible says there is one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus there. That's the only way that we can get there. And so he's got this incense that is there and it is cloud 
crowding up the back room now and there is no light back there save the Shekinah glory of God and this room is filling up with that there and so he goes back out now he picks up the bowl of the sin offering there the bullock, the blood there he carries it back in there and that the smoke is gone now it tells us uh, there that he shall take verse number 14 he shall take the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat remember where I told you the glory of God was right right above the mercy seat between the uh, between the cherubim and he's got to go over there and he's got to sprinkle blood there but not only does he go there it says that he's got to sprinkle the with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward and before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times, right? So what does that mean? That means he's got to sprinkle it pointing toward the east. Now, it's easy to figure out because the tabernacle was always laid out with the door of the tabernacle facing the east. So the rising sun would shine in there if it was opened up, but it wasn't. And so that that's the way it was. So what he would have to do, if that's the easterly direction, and I've come in that way, I've come through the veil, here's the mercy seat, and the Shekinah glory of God. I've got to go around behind it in the dark with the cloud. I've got to go around behind it. I can't touch the thing, by the way. Remember what happened to Uzi when he touched it there. You don't touch the mercy seat. You don't touch the Ark of the Covenant. You go around behind it and you take your finger and you begin to sprinkle the blood onto the mercy seat. By the way, as you sprinkle it there, it said he was to sprinkle it before, right? Some of it's going to go over in the front. He got it all taken care of in one shot. He better be a good counter though, by the way. One, two, seven, right? That's what he's got to do. He's got to count to seven, and he's got to turn around, and he's going out of there. And saying, if I don't know about you, but if it's me, I'm saying, praise God, I've made it out now. But I ain't done yet. It says, now that he's gone out, then, after he's put the, the incense back there, after he's, uh, he's sprinkled the blood for uh, himself back there, now he can go out and slay the next offering. It says, then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering. He's worthy now. He's able now. Amen. Couldn't do it before. He can do it now. Amen. And so now he's out there slaying this offering, collecting its blood, and bringing the blood within the veil to do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat before the mercy seat. Now, remember what he done. In order to go back there the first time, he put the incense on there, Right? Now, he's been out of there for a little while. Now, anybody, it's not a pleasant thought, but have you ever been around a slaughterhouse when they're killing animals? It doesn't always go very quickly, right? And he's got to collect the blood from the thing. And the whole time, that incense is burning back there to keep the cloud up. That's why I said I'd take pockets full. I'd have a pile of it sitting back. I'd tell, if it was me, as we're approaching the day of, of, the, of the day of atonement, I'd go to the guy that makes the incense and says, you got me stocked up? You got enough. I'm going to use everything you got tomorrow. You better have enough for the next day too. Because I ain't going to slack up on it, right? I mean, his life depended on that stuff. By the way, let, let me take a little note here. That incense is a picture of prayer, by the way. We don't take prayer that way, do we? We ought to. So he is coming back now. 
He, and that incense has still got to be burning. I don't know, maybe he walks back there, and if it's not, he puts some more on there to make sure that it's right so that that cloud stays there. He comes back in the, the, the next, this last time, and he comes back behind the mercy seat, behind the Ark of the Covenant, behind the glory of God, and he begins to sprinkle the blood over top of the mercy seat, over in front of the mercy seat, sprinkles it seven times, turns around, and goes back out the door, right? That's the picture of the Day of Atonement. Now, on this Day of Atonement... He's also got some more things to do. He's got to finish offerings. He's got some sacrifices he's still got to finish. But he's done in there. All right? And he's going to eventually come out and he's going to wash himself again. And he's going to take off all of those clothes that he put on and put his normal clothes back on. And so that is the ritual. That is the ceremony that God has laid out. Now, what we are looking at in the book of Hebrews in chapter 9 is dealing with this same day. You say, how do you know? Well, number one, because of the location of the golden censer. Down there in verse number 4, a lot of people say this is an error in the Word of God. Can I tell you, the Word of God is exactly right every time. Uh, you can go check it. It will prove itself to be true. It, said, it talks about this golden censer, the, gold, or, uh, the golden censer that it was behind the veil. Remember, I said that he would have come to the altar of incense and pick it up, right? So it wasn't there. It wasn't, normally, it wasn't behind the veil. But on this day... It was. We know what day we're talking about. We come on down. And he talks about the one day a year. He says also that he has to go back there with the blood of bulls and of goats. What was it he took back there? The blood of a bullock and the blood of a goat there. And so what is going on? That he has that altar, that, that censer there. He's got the incense that is there shielding him from the glory of God. He brings the blood of the bullock back there on his second trip in order to sprinkle the blood to provide a sacrifice and atonement for himself so that he can come out and can offer the sacrifice collectively the blood for the nation, bring it behind there, and offer it as an atonement there for the nation, and then hightail it out of there the best he can. And that's the picture. That's what we're dealing with when we come in here. And God is telling us this, that all of that was nothing more than a figure or a pattern or a picture of something that is to come. You come down into verse number 11 and we read, but Christ. And can I say praise God for Christ. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come. And so he's talking about Christ and his high priestly role now, right? That's what we're dealing with as a Christ, as a high priest of better, of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. Remember that when Moses was up in the ark, I was reading this this morning. That's why I was so fresh on everything that was going on there. I was actually, it's in my normal Bible reading. I'm reading about the the measurements and the dimensions and the layout of the tabernacles. I'm going through my daily uh, reading now. And in that, God had told Moses, He says, I'm going to show you the pattern. I'm going to show you some things. I kind of wonder if maybe while they were up there that, that Moses was in the cloud up on top of Mount Sinai that God said, all right, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to build. And he opens up heaven and he shows him the tabernacle that's there in heaven. He shows them the layout of it. And I can imagine Moses there with his measuring tape. He's measuring everything so he can get it right. That's what all that is written down, right? It's how big to build it, how to lay it out. And so he's measuring everything. He's getting it right. And God will tell him to build 
build it according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. And so he is giving him a picture. What we see on earth is simply a shadow. It's a picture of the one that is there up, up there in heaven. And can I say, by the way, up there in heaven, there is no Ark of the Covenant. Uh, there, there's a mercy seat, so to speak. I believe that that is representing the very throne of God Almighty that's sitting there. And so he's got a picture to build it by. And then he says, Jesus is coming along. And the tabernacle, by the time Jesus comes along, is gone. Right? They've already built two temples and are remodeling the second one by the time that Jesus comes along. Right? That tabernacle is gone. But he says he's not worried about that one. Because he's got a better one. It's that one there in heaven, right? And one that's not made with hands, not of this building. It says, neither by the blood of, of goats and of calves. So he's saying this. He's saying that this man, he's going into a better tabernacle, a better place. And he's not taking the blood of a, bull, a goat. And he's not taking the blood of the bullock there. He says, neither by that, but by his own blood he entered in. Now, I like this phrase. I know we read over it. We think we understand it. But I'm about to dig down into it a little bit deeper. He entered in. Now, notice this word once once into the holy place remember what I took us through there and the whole reason I went back and laid out that day how many times did the, did the high priest on the day of atonement have to go behind that veil he had to go one time to simply put something back there in order to shield him from being in the presence of God almighty can I tell you praise God we've got a savior he didn't need nothing to stand in the way between him and the glory of God almighty the Bible will tell us this let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God why? because he is God in the flesh the Bible will say that he that knew no sin was made to be sin the Bible will say that it became us to have a high priest holy or holy undefiled harmless undefiled separate from sinners he had nothing in his way not since the Garden of Eden can anybody do that. Remember Moses? Bible says God spoke to Moses face to face. Read that this morning. But, he, but when Moses said, show me thy glory. Show me thy face. God said, you can't do it. You can't handle it. Remember that? He says, but I'll tell you what I'll do. He says, there's a place by me. Hey, can I tell you what? You want to see the glory of God, you're going to have to get close to Him. Amen. He said, there's a place by me. He said, and I'll pass by there. And I'll proclaim the name of the Lord there. And said, and I'll put you into the cleft of the rock. And I'll shield you with my hand as I pass by. And as my glory pass by. And as I proclaim the name of the Lord, that you'll be shielded because you can't stand in the midst of it. You can't handle it, Moses. And so he does that. And the Bible says Moses came out. And he says he got to see the back parts. You know, for a long time in my Christian life, as I was growing up, I, thought, I always thought that meant he got to see the back side of God. Can I tell you something? We can't handle the front and we can't handle the back. I was illuminated later on as to what that meant. That back parts of God was actually nothing more than the effect that the glory of God had as it passed by. It was the after. 
afterglow, so to speak. It was the result. He says, Moses, you can't stand in my presence. He said, you can barely handle in being in the place where I have been. And the Bible tells us this, by the time Moses came down off that mountain, they had to put a veil over top of him because they couldn't stand to be in his presence because he was in the place where God had been and it affected him so much that he shone over it. Amen. We can't handle the glory of God. We've got to have a divider. We've got to have a bear. But can I say praise God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't need nothing. That when he got up from the grave, that pray, by the way, praise God, that because he lives, he grows up from the grave that day and he strolled into the temple of heaven. He walked right past uh, the candle there, the candlestick and the table of shoe bread and the altar of incense. And I don't believe there's a veil up there in heaven. He strolled right past where that was and stood in the presence of God. And you, find, you say, how do you know that? Because you read over in the book of the Revelation there. And it talks about being around the throne of God. And it says in the midst of the throne. Now a throne generally we think of as just a singular seat, right? Just a place where somebody sits. But no, a lot of times what a throne was, was a room where all of the advisors and all of those dignitaries sat, right? And so it would be a big area, maybe even a circle there. Think of King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table, right? I'm not putting the table in there, but Think of them as they're seated around there. And it says right slap dab in the middle of all of it is the the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of the glory of God. And I say praise the Lord. He didn't have to go back there for that. Number two, he didn't have to go back there with the blood of a ball. Remember Aaron had to go? Aaron had to get himself cleaned up before he could handle dealing with the nation, right? He went back the second time because of his sin. You say, well, Aaron was a high priest. He was probably living a pretty good life. He might have been. But he still needed a Savior. He still needed an atonement. Can I tell you something? I don't care how good you think you are. The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that doeth good. The Bible says there in Romans chapter number 3, I believe it is, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That none of us can enter into the presence of God on our own behalf there. It takes somebody to go in on our place there. And before Aaron could do it for the rest of the nation, he had to do it for himself there and get the blood back there to take care of his. Can I say praise the Lord that Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. He didn't have this old sin nature about him. He was God in the flesh. He had no sin on his account. The Bible said that death, it couldn't hold him. Why? The wages of sin is death. If it is sin or death has a claim over us because of sin in our lives, but it couldn't hold on to him. There was no sin in his life. Amen. I always think about that third morning. Maybe the night leading up to that third morning. <laughs> devil calls up there and says, Death, I remember him saying something about getting up on that third day. This, I can imagine Death looking back at old Mr. Satan going, I got him. I ain't ever lost one yet. Other than the ones that he called back, and ain't nobody out there to call him back. Right. <laughs> Low about sunrise the next morning. Early in the morning. Actually, it says before daylight. 
as when the women came there and found the stone already rolled away. This stuff was going on before the S-O-S-U-N got up. The S-O-N had already got up and said, by the way, I can imagine that all of a sudden that phone began to ring in hell and Satan picked it up and says, well, you still got him? And a trembling voice of death and he speaks over and says, I had him. I know I had him. I had him down here. We had defeated him. And all of a sudden, uh, something began to happen and this place began to shake and the light began to shine in here and he changed the way he was and all of a sudden he got up and, uh, and Satan, it's worse than you can imagine. He didn't just get up. He took my keys with him. The Bible says he's got the keys of death and hell, does he not? You say, why not? Because there was no sin in him. You know why I can't be the sacrifice for you? Because I got sin. I got to pay for my own sins before I can pay for yours. But he didn't need any. So he only had to go in once. To offer the sacrifice for us all. Can I tell you, the bid talks about a great Savior that we have. But can I say this? Notice it says once he entered in, right? He goes on. Having obtained, now notice this word, eternal redemption. How many times did he have to go back there to, to obtain eternal redemption? One time. He didn't go back with the, he didn't go back with the, to, to have put something in, in the place. He didn't have to go back for himself. He only went once with a sacrifice for us. But notice this, the high priest there, he had to do this every year. I can imagine, think about Aaron. I know that this isn't right, that he didn't do it for all 40 years because of the, there, there's just some reasons there, and I'm not going to go to them. But the math is a whole lot easier if you do it off of 40. Imagine that Aaron did this 40 times for 40 years in his life. Three times ago, 120 times that he went back there behind that veil to accomplish something that he knew that as soon as he died, the next person was going to come along and have to keep doing it. And over and over and over, year after year after year, that somebody had to go back there. Can I say praise the Lord that Jesus entered in once and obtained eternal redemption. I don't know about you, but I, I can sit there and get excited when I think about my salvation. Amen. I was talking about there when I was thinking about that last verse there. Uh, well, not the last verse, but that fit what I would call the fifth verse of amazing grace. It said we've been there 10,000 years. Can I say praise God? Not only is there not going to be any less days, He ain't going to have to back up and do it again. We ain't going to get two trillion years down the road and God say, whoa, whoa, we got to redo this thing. You may have to go back again once for eternal redemption. You know, there was a law of redemption in the Old Testament, right? If you sold yourself into slavery for a debt that you couldn't pay. By the way, guess where I was when I was saved? I was in slavery to sin. To whom you yield your members, you're a servant thereof, right? I was in slavery to sin. Sin controlled me. It told me what to do. Hey, you may not understand it. You may not believe it until your eyes have been opened. If you're here this morning and you're lost, you're saying, well, I'm not in that state. You don't realize you're in that state until the Lord God Almighty opens up your eyes and shows you that you're in that state. That sin was controlling my life. I was, I was sold under slavery there and I needed to be redeemed. And there was a law of redemption in the Old Testament that if somebody came along as a near kinsman, he could pay that debt, right? And redeem that person out of the problem that they were in and set them on a new life. But you know what? There was nothing to stop that person from getting back into the same place. Right. Amen. 
They go on down the road about 10 years later. Maybe they've got themselves into another debt and they sell themselves back again. And along has to come the kinsman redeemer again. And if he fills up to it, he can pay the debt again and get that man out and turn around and go right. We all know, by the way, people just like that. That's the way we are uh, when we try to live by our works. When we try to get uh, some sort of religion to save ourselves and to get ourselves. Hey, we might get right for a little while. But what we're going to find is our, our master, he's going to bring us right back to where we are. And we have to get ourselves out of that mess again and over and over and over we're going to need it but one time he entered into there into there to obtain what eternal redemption for us never again I'm going to give something some people may not like it I don't care it's Bible you got these out there that believe they can get lost and saved lost and saved lost and saved they can lay it down they can quit they can do this they can do that uh, can I tell you, they, t- they complain that we're talking, that we preach a message of living and uh, of once in grace, always in grace. And that means you can live however you want. Can I say, I was thinking about that the other day, and that sounds like a message you can live the way however you want, right? Because you can always come back and get saved again is what they teach. The Bible will tell us over in the book of Hebrews, down about chapter number 6, I believe it is, it says that that is impossible. Right. You say, why is that? Because you'd have to have a new sacrifice. And he ain't going back once to obtain eternal Redemption. By the way, I don't preach a message, and we're getting getting ready to get there, that you can just live any way you want. There's expectations for the child of God. Great Savior. (laughs) A great salvation. And it comes down in verse number 14. Let me skip down there. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works, right? To serve. He didn't just save you to leave you right there. If that was the case, I believe he'd have saved us and taken us home. He says he has purged you from dead works To serve the living God. Can I say, we've got a great Savior. You only need to go back in there one time. To purchase an eternal redemption. Never going to have to do it again. But there's an expectation for us. By the way, it's a great service that we have. Can I tell you, I, it does not matter to me if, the God, if God has called you to preach his word or if he's called you to simply go and pull the grass out of the cracks on the Amen. concrete around the church building. It does not make a difference what your job is, what your service is. It is still a great service Amen. for God. We get caught up every now and then. We, we, we live in this world where we're, we're used to people being put in the spotlight. And I wish they didn't have spotlights up on, the, on these things because that's why I'm sweating so bad. Part of it. Well, we got this idea that if you're not in the front of the church, right? If you're not up on the podium on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night leading the service or leading the singing or doing a special song or something like that, uh, that, that, that you're not really serving God. I'm here to tell you there's a whole lot better ways and more ways to serve God. The point of it is, is that you go find out what it is for you to serve the Lord because that's why he's redeemed you to serve him in this life, however it may be. There's an old faith. 
an old, uh, old saying that uh, uh, Brother Mark Ruby reminded me of a couple of weeks, well, about a month ago now. He said that there was two angels sent down from heaven, and one of them had a message for the emperor, and the other was called to, called to sweep the bathroom floors there, that they wouldn't argue which one had the, more, had the better job. Because it's both coming from the Lord. We've got to understand. God saved us for a purpose. Now, I don't know what it is. But I'm here to tell you that if you're not serving God the way that where he wants you to do, number one, you're missing out. Number two, something's not getting done that you're supposed to do. The Bible talks about the church, right, as the body of Christ. We're all one body of believers. Now I gotta bring it down. We're gonna bring it down. We are, you can have the universal understanding, we're all in the same body of Christ. I get that, but I'm bringing this down to the local level, okay? Because that's where we live and operate, right? And this local church has an area that it's, that it's responsible for. And every member in this church has a job that they are called to perform. But you know why the churches aren't successful like they ought to be? Because we've got individuals who are not doing their job correctly. I, 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 have, I have a thyroid issue right now. A lot of people are familiar with that. Unfortunately, I got the bad one, the one that makes you slow, lazy, and fat. I'd rather have the one that gives you at least hyper speed, right? It makes you skinny. <laughs> I mean, if you've got to have one, you know, pick the right one, right? I, I've got the bad one. I can't remember one's hyper, one's hyper. I don't know that stuff. But anyway, <laughs> so I've got a thyroid problem. And my thyroid is not doing what it's supposed to do correctly, right? And it hinders my body's ability to do what it's supposed to do. And so therefore, I have to, in, I have to put medicine into my system to keep that thing regulated in order to get my body to kind of do what it's supposed to do. And by the way, it don't work right still. Uh, it's the wor- Can I tell you, that's the worst thing in the world. That, that Trying to fix a thyroid problem is like standing back uh, throwing darts blindly at a target. You'll eventually maybe hit it. But anyway, that... In order for that to happen, in order for my body to work right, that thing has got to be working. Can I tell you, we got a lot of problems in the church. I'm afraid we got some thyroids in the church that aren't working quite right, and so the rest of the body isn't able to function the way that it's supposed to be because you're not doing the job that you're supposed to do. And when it comes down to it, now, now think about this too. The thyroid in my body, it does not filter blood. It does not provide oxygen to my body. It actually releases a hormone that tells another part of my body how much hormone to release. You almost think you take that thing out, right? Well, some people do. My mother doesn't have one. They removed hers. Kind of like an appendix. I'm still trying to figure out what in the world that thing's for. Because the only thing I can understand that they're for in our body is to rupture late in the night because you have to go to the ER and panic. And somebody takes them out and everything's okay and you go on like normal. You say, well, that, that, that's fine. The body can work like that, right? Yes, the body can work like that. And I'm afraid a lot of our churches are like that. We've had some appendixes removed out of them. Uh, maybe some thyroids that weren't acting right and eventually had to be removed out of them. And you say, well, the body can continue on. Yes, the body may be able to continue on, but it is no longer what it was made to be. Right. Amen. I don't know what the purpose of that appendix. Somebody in here studying nursing or got a degree in nursing and health and all that, y'all can explain it to me some other time. But everybody in the church has a purpose and a service. 
I said, well, I don't know what mine is. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'll tell you how to find out. Get a hold of God. Number one, you've got to be saved. And then once you're saved, get a hold of God and let him guide you. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I might preach this tonight. I don't know if the Lord's kind of about half got it on my heart. I, I was trying to get away from this one this morning, but I couldn't get away from it, so I'm going to preach. I, that's why I preached it. But here's the deal. We've all got a different role. We've all got a different responsibility. And sometimes the job that God gives you is a little scary. Amen. You say, how do you know? Because he gave me one of those. That's why I'm here. <laughs> Dakota knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Brother Aaron knows what I'm talking about. It's a scary thing. But the best place we can be Amen. is when we're doing the service that God has called us to do. You know why a lot of times in our Christian life, and I'll finish with this. Y'all get ready for a song. I'm going to shut this thing down. You know why a lot of times in our Christian life we're not where we ought to be? We're a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe things are just kind of spinning around. They're not getting where they're supposed to. Maybe it's because we're not serving the Lord. Amen. You know when I find great peace is when I'm serving God. That's where it comes from. Because this is a great service for a living God. Why? Because he entered in one time into the holy place. To offer one sacrifice for us. For all time. And I love, I believe it's over in chapter number 9. It says, sit down. Expecting until his enemies be made his footstool. He ain't having to get back up again until he's ready to come in his glory. You know, no high priest ever got to do that. They had to keep offering and keep offering. Praise God, I've got a great Savior, a great salvation. Yes. But can I tell you, we've got a great service to do because of it. Let's serve the Lord, however he deals with us. Come ahead, brother. Let's get a hymnal and turn to page 392. Page 392.